Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to Flourishing with PTSD, a podcast designed to normalize conversations around mental health, specifically in the context of PTSD, also known as post-traumatic stress disorder. If this is your first time tuning in for an episode, I would like to personally welcome you. And if you are a regular listener or someone who occasionally pops in for an episode here and there, welcome to you as well. My name is Manda and I am the host. This is as good a time as any to let you know that I am not a medical professional in any capacity. I'm not a doctor, not a therapist. I am, however, a survivor of my own fair share of trauma. And, you know, that's why I'm here, because so many of us are survivors of trauma. And, you know, we deserve to have a community where we can learn from each other and just feel less alone in the thick of it. So I will go ahead and put a trigger warning on today's episode. So just make sure to check in with yourself and just see how you're doing and then decide whether or not to continue. So last episode was, well, it was a tough one to record. And I feel like I say that just about every episode, but I have to say that I felt like I just exposed a different part of myself that I usually keep pretty private from everyone. Um, So I'm not really used to talking about self-esteem, but thank you for letting me be vulnerable with you. Um, I got a lot of DMs about that that episode, and so many of you guys were sharing your stories and uh, your struggles with self-esteem and how your trauma kind of pivoted you into a different direction um, in terms of your self-esteem. And maybe how you've come back with that or from it or how you have um, had to make some adjustments or maybe you're just starting to realize where you rate yourself rate yourself on the self-esteem hierarchy. So thank you so much for sharing that with me and being vulnerable with me. I'm so honored to hold space for that and um, I'm really excited to get into this episode today with you as kind of a part two to that, uh, that conversation. Um, so since that episode of self-esteem, I have been doing a great deal of reflection on self-esteem and I hope that you have too. Uh, there really is so much that goes into it and I wish I could do it justice, but that just seems to fall into the near impossible category for me. Uh, and I know that I have a lot of work to do on my self-esteem and I don't think I realized how much work I had to put in and where I rated myself until I actually recorded that episode and started the conversation for myself. Um, It's funny how that works, but, you know, often that's where we find the work that needs to be done. (laughs) Um, But this conversation around self-esteem got me thinking about something, though, and it brought me right back to trauma. Traumas tend to be the catalyst for many things, specifically the change in direction of our lives, right? Sometimes those alterations in our course turn out to be pretty okay, while others, and I would say that for me there was, you know, a lot of a majority, um, that, you know, I wouldn't wish upon anyone. I wouldn't want someone to go through the things I've been through just because of how painful they are and you know, there's a whole argument about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, you know, I might touch on that a little bit as we go, but that's a whole thing. Um, (laughs) But we all experience trauma in our life, right? We all have our kinds of trauma. We are not unique. Like if you're listening and you struggle with PTSD or you struggle with, you know, anxious thoughts after going through something super, super tough and a super traumatic event, you are not alone in that. Trauma is a basic life phenomenon that we all 
experience. It's just a fact. It is unavoidable. It is guaranteed to happen at some point. And I don't say that to frighten you or discourage you for from any positive outlook on life. No, no, no. This is just a universal experience that should actually bring us as humans in a society closer together. And it constantly baffles me because we all experience trauma and for some reason, we let it divide us sometimes or we allow it to be a point of judgment rather than, oh yeah, I remember when I went through something, you know, um, but it should help us to be able to relate to each other rather than feel like we are the only ones going through it because, you know, we aren't, we are not the only ones going through it. And, you know, like what is trauma? Trauma is defined by our friend Google as a deeply disturbing or distressing experience. And I don't know one person who hasn't been through something in their lifetime that will stay with them, you know, like that they were changed by it, that they, it changed who they are. It changed a part of their life and their character. Like we have all been through something like that. So I was thinking about that after I recorded the self-esteem episode and After taking a deep look inward, I recognized a very interesting pattern within myself that I find to be very common in my surroundings. And I'm guessing that you will be, you'll be able to either relate or you'll say, oh yeah, I know someone that does that. Um, And I want to talk about it. I want to talk about living in a world of absolutions produced by trauma. Um, And I'll get into what absolutions are, but first I want to kind of set the stage for you. I want to paint a picture of how trauma produces this way of thinking. Um, And I want to put a little trigger warning right here as well for those who may have experienced stalking or domestic abuse or sexual assault. Um, This may be a little triggering. So again, just take a moment and check in with yourself before continuing, okay? So it's high school, 10th grade. I have been living a nightmare for so long, it basically just kind of feels part of my normal. My existence is literally being held together by my schedule of my day. First period, geometry. Second period, AP World History. Third period, English. Fourth period, biology. Lunch. Fifth period, choir. Sixth period, Spanish. That was a guaranteed experience Monday through Friday. And when that bell rings, I get up and I go to the next class. I know exactly where I have to go. If I don't go there or if I don't get there in time, I might get in trouble with, you know, like the admin of the high school or a teacher who acts as a hall monitor, you know. So basic high school stuff right there. Add into the mix, though, another guaranteed experience that has inserted itself into that routine. There's always that cause and effect. There's always this being met by that. And for the sake of the story, we will call this person the bully. The bully shares first period with me. There have been so many incidents that I know it's wise, it's better to not tell him off when he tells me or when he tells the student next to me to move so that he can not only sit in that seat to be next to me, but so that he can scoot in close. I know not to do anything because past retaliations on my part have ended up with me being humiliated or harmed in some way. And I felt that my only choice after being conditioned into that, into that response was to just be quiet and put up with it because that would result in a lesser consequence than if I fought back. It became an absolute for me to just 
be quiet and do what do what he wanted, right? I put up with the bully taking the pictures and walking with me to class, finding me after school. I put up with the aggressive grasps, grasps on my forearm because it was guaranteed to be worse if I fought. So I froze and I went quiet. And then, and then, and this is the good part, the unexpected, the unaccounted for variable, the anomaly of the guaranteed reality that I was living in finally happened. Someone intervened. Someone finally noticed. Them saying something changed the absolute certainty of my day. And more options were then presented to me. And I finally had a choice. I could speak. I could breathe. I could share. I could come forward. So how that all unfolded is not what I'll be getting into in this episode. But hopefully that painted a picture for you to see the reality where someone can be conditioned or terrified into believing that you have two options available to you. One being you can fight and face worse consequences or two, you can be submissive and hopefully the pain or humiliation that you will face will be minimal. There's an absolute, a yes or no, there is nothing else. So this is what many trauma survivors have to face at some point. They had to face it at some point. This is especially common in domestic abuse situations and we also see this portrayed Somewhat, I, I'm i a little, you know, meh on saying it, that it's 100% accurate, but I think that the fact that it is portrayed in the entertainment industry is, you know, there's something to be said about it. But you, you see in movies or shows these absolutions where you hear the perpetrator say, you know, do what I say and you won't get hurt. This is a very common phrase that, you know, we hear about criminals, uh, saying to their victims in order to gain control over them and side note, it is almost never true. It is almost never true that if you do what someone, a criminal says, that they will not hurt you. They say that to get control of you. And then you, your chances to fight back and your ability to fight back become less, but that's a different conversation. Um, and honestly, if you want more information about that, you can follow Brie, I'm going to say her last name wrong, Brie Lasley, uh, Brie Lasley. I think she's at, um, oh, it was Fight Like Girls. I'll link it in my, um, podcast details, what her Instagram handle is, but, um, she gives great self-defense, uh, tips and, um, she even sells merchandise to, um, help, you know, protect you and things like that. So I'll, I'll link that in, um, the podcast details for this episode, um, But again, that's a different conversation than what I want to focus on today. Today, I really want to focus on this absolution mentality. So imagine that you have lived with these two options regarding your safety for a longer period of time. You're either fighting and risking worse harm or death or submit and still experience pain and suffering. But it'll be less than what it could be. This mentality is so common and it is a survival technique, a survival technique. Sorry, I'm having trouble speaking today. Um, But if this sounds familiar to you, please know that your responses were your instincts kicking in and acting in protection mode. That is a very normal and very okay response. And that's kind of going into that fight or flight, freeze or fawn response. Those 
are evolutionary. They are subconscious. They are your brain and body and your nervous system taking control in a situation where you cannot use your executive functioning, your choice to make those decisions. Um, so these, these responses are very, very good because, and also if you're here listening to this and you're like, oh man, I can't believe I acted that way. Or I can't believe I just stood there, sat there, laid there. I I can't believe it. I'm here to tell you that if you're listening to this, it means your instincts kept you alive. And that is a win. That's a win. So take that with you today. Um, but let's fast forward now. So we, we have this picture painted of, you know, when you're in the thick of a trauma, whether it's an extended period of time or whether it's a one-time deal, you know, let's fast forward now to that post-trauma, right? And we get into the realm of PTSD. The bully is gone and now you live with PTSD, a disorder that forces you to live with forced flashbacks, nightmares, a new heightened baseline of anxiety that has settled into your nervous system. We're dealing with the works, right? And in other words, the trauma itself is physically over and in the past, but the effects are very much present and they are very real. And that absolute thinking, at least for some of us, may be another symptom of how we cope with a traumatic experience. And I didn't know that. I had no idea that this was a very common experience of this absolute thinking. Either I will do this or I will not do this. Either I have two options and only two options. I did not know that that was a very common experience until I was expressing these habits of this either or thinking to my therapist. And it was so funny because she told me that that's a very real symptom of PTSD. And I was just awestruck. I had no idea. So what would absolute thinking look like in the aftermath of a trauma in everyday life when we're no longer in a dangerous situation, but our nervous system is still at that heightened base level of anxiety to where we can only interpret daily life in a yes or no and either or kind of a black and white thinking and also let's I I have a couple of examples that I want to kind of illustrate for you as to what this can look like so my boss she pops her head into my office and she says that she's buying burritos for everyone that wants one right she asks if I want one and I cringe remembering that oh I have no lunch today but I hate burritos. I could either say, yeah, I could, yeah, I could take a burrito. I could say yes to her so that she feels good about her choice to get burritos and that she's not excluding me, that she made a great choice in offering me a burrito. I can validate her feelings of being like, yeah, that was perfect burritos. Everyone likes burritos. It's cool. Or I could say, no, thank you. And not eat for the rest of the day to make sure that she doesn't feel bad or angry with me for not taking her up on her offer for burritos when instead I went out and got like a Subway sandwich or something. My choices in this situation are not dependent upon my needs. It's simply my interpretation of what would keep my boss happy with me. Did you recognize that as I was kind of going through that? I, my responses to her were okay I could say yes and so that she feels good or I could say no but not go get other food so that she could still feel good and like oh like maybe Amanda wasn't hungry or you know maybe like she you know whatever explanation right but as long as she feels good even if it causes me to starve 
then that makes me somehow feel good. Do you kind of see the issue with that and how that can stem from a traumatic experience where it's often in the on the responsibility that it feels like? I'm not saying that, you know, it's how it should be, but often this is what is experienced is, okay, the person that is hurting me, I need to keep them happy so that they don't hurt me, so that they don't have negative feelings toward me and take it out on me or someone that I love, right? So that's kind of where we're going with this, right? But now, back to this burrito example, if I zoom out from myself in this situation and look at more options that are available to me, it turns out there are quite a few good responses that I could give and be okay, right? I don't like burritos, so I can kindly thank her and refuse, saying that they just aren't my thing. I can refuse and tell her that I have plans to to go grab lunch with you know, someone in a couple of hours, or I just have plans to get myself lunch in a couple of hours and I'm not really hungry right now. Or I could just simply thank her for her offer and say no without an explanation. There are a couple, those are good. Those are very good. And those are more of serving my needs while being respectful of the offer that she extend, extended to me, right? In a safe situation, an explanation for why I don't want a burrito is not required. I do not need to rack my brain looking for a reason why I don't want a burrito if I just simply don't like burritos, right? In a safe situation, I don't have to worry about how my true feelings being expressed will hurt their feelings as long as I'm being kind. However... To a trauma survivor who engages with a world of absolutions, who was conditioned to think of that person's feelings first because the repercussions coming back to me could be dangerous, the only options that seem or feel available are the ones that are quite immediate that I can think of quickly and then act upon, that yes or no. And how that comes across will impact feelings or actions taken against me. It is a mindset where you do not feel safe if that other person is upset. Another example. Remember in the last episode where I talked about self-esteem and there came a point in the travel plans that I was making with my friends and my aunt, and I felt that because I disagreed or had a different comfort level around certain gatherings than my friends or my aunt, that the only solution I was working with at that point was I just shouldn't go on the trip. I just shouldn't go on the trip. I have needs, but my friends are going to resent me or they're going to not like the fact that I don't want to do the same things as them and therefore I would be a burden. So uh, yes or no, yes, I go on the trip. No, I, go, I don't go on the trip. No, I won't go on the trip so that they don't have to worry. So that I don't be a burden to them. Because we disagree, I won't go. And if I go, you know, if I go, they won't have fun that they're wanting to have. And therefore the only solution is for me to not go. Again, though, if we zoom out, more solutions present themselves as available opportunities. So instead of saying, well, I just won't go, 
together we had to slow things down and think of ways to make me feel comfortable and have fun and the way and we came up with ways that my other friends needed to feel comfortable we all got to practice setting boundaries with each other and remember what my friend told me while i was spiraling in my own absolutions she said manda Spending time with you is more valuable and more important to me than going to some party or doing whatever it is that we're going to do. Just being with you is important to me. That was not in my immediate yes or no to the trip. My brain was thinking too fast of how to keep my friends happy that I wouldn't have even considered that time spent with me would be more valuable that something else, a third option, would have been a better one. It was part of the bigger picture that she helped me to understand and see that there were more options available than a simple response of, well, I guess I won't go. And I don't say it like that to be spiteful or, oh, you disagree with me, well, I just won't go. Like, it's fine. Like, it's whatever. That's not the place that I come from and that's not a place where many survivors come from. It is literally just that mindset that was conditioned to be validated. It was conditioned to be the correct response. And side note, by the way, my aunt actually called me the other day and she told me that she listened to that episode and I had a moment of sincere panic because I had no idea that she listened to this podcast and the first thing she did is she had me repeat some affirmations back to her about being loved being valued and that she wanted me to come and the thing is when someone loves you they will help you zoom out if they know what you're thinking You have to invite someone into your headspace and you have to be open to that uncomfortable communication with someone who is safe if you want them to help you, if you want them to be there for you. Otherwise, if you don't share with them, if you don't take that step, they won't know that they need to be there for you in that way. My aunt would not have been able to offer that validation for me if she hadn't listened to the podcast because I hadn't told her how I felt because, you know, whatever reasons, I was embarrassed or I just felt lesser than or, you know, all of these feelings. But she listened to the podcast episode and she talked to me about it and she said, you know, I really want you to come and I'm so excited to see you. And if you don't want to go, we won't go and we will still have a great time. She could not have offered me that validation if she didn't know that I needed it. Just food for thought. But this mindset, this yes or no, this either or, this black and white thinking, right? What's the problem with it? Why can't we continue to live in this mindset if it has proven to keep us safe? Why would we worry about this? Well... Where do I even start? (laughs) When we feel like we can't pause and take a moment to consider options or we feel like we have to weigh our safety when eliciting a response, we have a problem. 
Because the reality of a situation where my boss is asking if she can buy me a burrito, that is not threatening. And however I respond will have negative repercussions. Like, no. And if I feel panicked and I give a response that is either yes, I will have her buy me a burrito. I just won't eat it because I hate burritos. Or no, and I'll starve so that she doesn't know that I hate burritos. So that she can just continue to feel good. As if she would feel bad that I don't like burritos. That doesn't, like, when you actually unpack that, that doesn't even make sense. And those responses could actually create the negative repercussions for me. If I have her buy me food that I will not eat because I think that it will make her feel good, well, that will make me feel guilty. Or she might find out and ask me questions about why I had her get me a burrito when I hate burritos. And that that's just awkward. Or if I say no and then I don't eat for the rest of the day, that's neglecting the needs of my body and mind, which can threaten my physical and mental health. And nothing is worth jeopardizing those things, especially when we can have some control in the situation. We have some control in what direction we choose. Like, do you see what I'm saying? You know, and another problem with this mindset is that if we don't attempt to interrupt it, we will continue to perpetuate our PTSD symptoms. If we can't interrupt these feelings, these these thought patterns, if we can't recognize them and say, oh wait, I recognize that this is what I'm doing. Let's slow down for a second. Let's zoom out and see more of the bigger picture and let's see if I can come up with some options. And it kind of feels like you're putting a puzzle together or that you're playing some, you know, brain Tetris to like come up with these other options. But when you start to do that and you practice doing that, It can help bring down that baseline of anxiety because you've practiced being like, okay, I need to slow down, take a deep breath, lower my shoulders, relax my jaw. I need to feel a little bit loose. That's very healthy in in the healing process from PTSD, right? And I'll tell you, now that I recognize that I do this, I am forcing myself to do that. I am forcing myself to slow down and not worry about keeping up with people around me because, you know, people who have not been through the trauma that I have been through in terms of being conditioned into this mindset, they can think it through faster. They can come up with alternate solutions quicker than me. That doesn't matter. Speed is not the objective. The objective is to feel safe in a situation and recognize all of the options available to me for myself. Which is hard because as humans, we naturally compare ourselves, but we got to trust the process. (laughs) Um, You know, I heard a quote the other day that said something like this, and I'm totally going to mess this up, but hopefully the message gets across is You can go faster in your healing journey, but you will cover less distance. You can go faster in your healing journey, but you will cover less distance. And what this person, because I don't remember who it is and I'm so sorry, but what that person was saying is that sure, 
You can try to breeze through your journey and try to get through everything, do all the exercises, do all the homework, but you will miss half the things that were meant to help you and heal you along the way. And you really didn't make as much progress as you thought you did. That would be like saying that you signed up for a marathon and drove the whole thing. You didn't train for it. You didn't run the whole marathon. You just drove the route. Yeah, sure, you got to the finish line quicker. Yeah, sure, you, you, you went on the journey, but did you get to enjoy? Did you get to enjoy it? Did you get to enjoy the, okay, I'm at the starting line. I'm getting ready. Ooh, I'm really nervous. I feel sick. I might puke a little. I don't know. And then when you hear the sound of the whistle or whatever it is that they use to launch you into the marathon and you go and you kick off and you get into your uh, your racing pace and you just like get settled and then you get through the hearts of, okay, maybe I need to stop and walk for a few minutes and like I recognize that my body is struggling. Okay, examine. Am I able to continue going? Oh yeah, I am. Okay, I can push through. Okay, great. I need to stop for a water break. Oh, I could really use some of that, you know, the, the granola bar or, you know, like runners like, well, sometimes like it looks like slime or goo, but you know, my mom is a runner and she swears by it. But do you see what I'm saying though? Is like, if you don't run the race for yourself, if you try to drive the marathon instead, you're missing out on literally the whole point of the experience. The point of a healing journey is not to be on it. The point of the healing journey is to take it step by step so that you can actually feel better. And I don't know if that made sense, but hopefully for some of you that resonates. You don't want to miss the things that were meant to help you progress along the way. And if you go slower, you will take in more things. You will be able to find things to put in your toolbox for your mental health and cover more of what is there for you to absorb and heal with. And the last major problem that I can think of with living in an absolute mindset is that it can cause tension. And as I look on, you know, on this past year with my job, right? There were things that my boss asked me to do and I was really stressed and I even said, you know, it wasn't possible. Like the things you're asking me to do, I like I can't do because of this thing or this thing. And I found what I thought were good excuses to not do something or, you know, like, I don't know, when she asked me to do something new, I would say, you know, there are two options for when she presented me with this new task that I had never done before. One, I will fail if I do it because I have no experience with that task and everyone will be ashamed of me and I could lose my job. Or the second option, I don't do the task because of reason X and no one will ever know that I wouldn't have been able to pull it off and I wouldn't have to go through the potential shame and embarrassment. But you know what else I wouldn't go through for sure? I would not have a chance to be successful. I would not have a chance to learn. And it's like that that quote that says, you will miss 100% of the shots that you never take. You are 100% going to fail if you never try. 
And looking at that situation, you know, with the work thing, I don't look like a very confident employee. And that brings us full circle back to the self-esteem conversation that we had last time. Living in this mindset is exhausting and it adds unnecessary stress. And I have learned in the last few weeks since that episode that when I get caught in this thinking, I am very, very me focused. And when I only see the two options, I know that I need to stop and zoom out and try to see more of the big picture because there are always going to be more than two options. And I need to allow myself to see what is in the peripherals of that picture? Because a better solution might be hiding in there somewhere. I just have to take the chance to, I have to take the time to look for it. And I personally really like that phrase, zoom out, because I feel like it somehow physically takes some pressure off. And it is another reminder that I'm safe now. I am not in that kind of danger anymore. And there are new people that only want to see me succeed and who will help me in any way that they can, as long as I keep trying to help myself and continue to work on myself. The desire to help oneself is the key ingredient to healing, always. You have to, you have to want to help yourself. You have to want it. People can't want it enough for you. You know, it's interesting how we evolve on our healing journeys. And another advocate in the community was asking from their platform, uh, what advice trauma survivors would give to each other? And one thought that kept coming back to me was this. The moment that you bury your feelings is the moment that you bury part of your ability or that opportunity to heal. And it keeps the same shovel in your hand standing over the same grave. It keeps the same shovel in your hand standing over the same grave. Because let's be honest. Trauma changes you. And the you that existed pre-trauma is gone. And that does not need to be an overwhelming thought because the you that you were before your trauma, that person, they were not perfect by any means. And we tend to overly romanticize that person that we used to be as if that person had it all together, as if they had it made. And that's another example of absolute thinking. I am no longer the person I was and therefore I'm worse. You see how narrowly focused that train of thought is? It traps us in a very small space. But if we zoom out, there are other options. Yes, we no longer are the person that existed before the trauma. That's a fact. But what and who we are after is not limited to what the trauma left us with. Let's look at Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped and held captive for nine months when she was 14 years old. And after she was rescued, she had to take time to heal and seek justice and continue to heal some more. And for those of you who are familiar with what Elizabeth is up to now, you know that she has become a very public advocate for many causes. Child trafficking, sexual assault prevention and resources for post-assault, self-defense, and consent awareness. 
And I'm sure that she is also involved in a great deal more, but that's just what comes to mind when I think of Elizabeth Smart off the top of my head. And I'm not arguing that Elizabeth needed a trauma to happen to make her strong or brave or a better version of herself. That's not at all what I'm saying. How can I possibly argue for that when no one knows that but, you know, the universe or God or whatever you do or do not believe in? But what I'm saying, though, is that yes, something awful that I would never wish upon anyone happened to her. She did not come out of the come out of that experience on the other side to be less than. She did not emerge from that experience with one or two options for what she was growing up to be. I can't speak to how she felt in those moments. I can only comment gently on the advocacy that she chooses to publicly share. But let's also remember that what is shared on social media is never the full story. I could be totally wrong on this, but this is what is visible and what I absolutely admire her for. Um, And then there's, you know, Bethany Hamilton, right? Another one of my favorite role models, a different kind of trauma. When Bethany was 13, she was out surfing and training to be a professional surfer. And then on Halloween morning of 2000. Three, I think, uh, she was attacked by a shark and it, uh, her left arm was just completely gone up to her shoulder about. And when she was 13, she experienced this horrific physical and mental trauma. And in her book, I think it's called Heart of a Soul Surfer. Um, there's also a movie Soul Surfer and they are both phenomenal. And she also has a documentary Unstoppable. And I just, uh, I have them downloaded on my phone because she's just amazing. But in her book and in interviews that I have watched, she actually reflects on the days following the attack where there were these snippets of absolute thinking and examples of how she actually, you know, was fought back against them. Um, And, you know, it's an example of her absolute thinking was, you know, because her arm was gone, she no longer was going to be able to carry out her dream to be a professional surfer. So she, you know, could be a photographer or a snowboarder. Uh, Surfing was out because she did not have an arm. Surfing was out. But after a little bit, she realized that there was another option. She was able to zoom out. Just because surfing with one arm maybe hadn't been done before, at least that was to her knowledge, she could try it. She could try surfing again, even though... She was one arm down, and I'm happy to report that Bethany is a professional surfer today. These two women endured, oh my gosh, endured very different traumas that changed the people that existed before those traumas happened to them. But eventually, they were both able to zoom out and see other options available than the immediate choices of yes or no. I will be this or that because of this. This trauma happened and therefore I am worse than what I was. There's no way I can be better because now I'm less. You have that choice to make too. And it's hard. This is not me saying that if they can do it, so can you. Because again, we need to not compare trauma and the responses that we have, because every person is different. This is not me saying that your trauma made you stronger. 
Some survivors like to hear that. Some survivors feel that that is the way they need to look at their trauma so that they can cope with the fact that it happened. I'm personally, I think I'm personally one of those people. At least that's the phase I'm in now where I think that what I have been through definitely made me stronger. It also made me more empathetic and I think it made me more kind. But some survivors don't like to hear that. Some survivors say, you know, I was strong before. I wasn't looking for a reason to be strong or to need that strength. Some survivors are very sensitive about that. And I totally understand why. And that's why it's important to just assume that you don't know how to treat someone. But, you know, in the end, like, I don't get to make those judgments about you. Your friends don't get to make those judgments about you. Your family, they don't get to make those judgments about you. Only you can set the tone for yourself. Just like I'm the only one that gets to decide who I am after what happened to me. It's important to take these things in stride. So, you know, take a look at yourself and get a feel for where you're at. Do you live in absolute thinking? Can you identify at least let's say, three options in the scenarios that accompany you. Accompany you? What did I just say? Sorry. The things that you encounter. I don't know where that came from. Sorry. The situations that you encounter. (laughs) Can you find three options or three responses or three solutions instead of just a yes or no? something really good to think about, right? Can you come up with a strategy to recognize and interrupt those thought patterns and then zoom out on that situation to remember that you are in fact safe now? I hope that you can. And I know that you are capable of doing that. So I encourage you to think on that. And until next time, make someone smile Make someone's day great, and we'll talk soon. Bye.